This episode is made possible by the Community Radio Fund of Canada's Radio Meters program. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Real World on CITR Radio. Um, we'd like to begin by acknowledging that we are recording this show on the unceded land of the Musqueam people um, here on UBC Point Grey campus. Uh, my name is Liam Riley. I'm here with my brother, Will. Hello. And uh, today we are joined with a special guest, um, joined by Juan. He is a... Uh, one of our uh, one of the classmates of ours, and um, we're super excited to have him on. Thanks for coming on, Juan. Hello, everybody. Uh, I love how you introduce me by saying I'm a special guest. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how special I am, but <laughs> fuck yeah, I'm excited to be here. Wait, can we curse? We can curse. Uh, okay, we can yes. curse. Fuck yeah, we can. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, just tell us a bit about yourself, I guess, before we get started. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm a film student, uh, majoring in film studies. I am a huge film buff. I've actually seen every single film inside IMDb's top two fifty. Uh, except for Dune, which I can't wait to see. Um, but no, man, I, I just, I, I love films. They're like my, you know, number one passion, the thing I love the most. And yeah, you know, it's it's been great taking all of this amazing film studies classes with all of you guys. Yeah, awesome. Um, so Juan and uh, and Will, Will and Juan and I have, uh, we went and saw a bunch of movies at VIF. Um, we talked about this in our last episode, but we're going to, what we're going to do today is kind of go over... Uh, Viff um, and talk about the films that we saw uh, and kind of just discuss what we liked and what we didn't like and um, and yeah so we'll talk about our experience with Viff. Yeah. Um, I want to I want to say before we right. start about about like the films of Viff. I think the um, like the experience around like in the festival with all the organizers and all the volunteers and and the I just thought it was like a really positive experience and and for us it was our first time at Viff uh, mm -hmm. Will and I. Um, so we had like a very, a very good experience. I don't know about yeah, you. Yeah, it was our like first experience at a film festival uh, in general. So it was really, really great. Um, especially great in Vancouver. We saw four films and we went to four different theaters and they were all really, really unique and, and good experiences. Um, and most of those theaters we hadn't been to before. So yeah, it was really great. Hell yeah. I've, I've actually had some experience, prior experience with film festivals before this. Yeah. Uh, in 2019, I went to the Colombian International Film Festival, uh, FIXI, the Festival Internacional de Cine Cartagena de Indias, uh, which was a lot of fun. Uh, I got to meet Ethan Cohen and uh, Michael Shannon in that nice. film festival, which was that's, fucking amazing. That's great. Um, and, you know, in 2019, as soon as I arrived here at UBC as a first year, uh, I did go to VIF and it was fucking amazing. Like, I'll never forget watching Parasite, like, opening night, September 27, like, there wasn't even a trailer. Like, nobody knew what the hell yeah. Parasite was about. Yeah. I remember that me and my friends, we all thought it was going to be, like, this weird sci-fi because we had seen The Host. And we were like, oh, yeah, it's it's called Parasite. It's made by the guy who made The Host and Snowpiercer. Like, it's going to be insane. Uh, but, yeah, we were we were blown away by that film. Um, so, yeah, and apart from that, I also went to TIFF a couple of weeks ago, which was a lot of fun. And I saw some amazing films. Um, but yeah, I also had a shit ton of fun with, you know, this year's VIF and I saw some amazing films that I can't wait to discuss. Yeah, yeah. sweet. I mean, I also think like the, um, like the aesthetic of, of the, like their, their marketing aesthetic, I thought was like really, like I, I was very, uh, satisfying, like the way they have, you know, their, um, their logo and like the, their, it seems like they have this original piece of music that, that kind of accompanies their logo. It was like, I don't know. I, I like to me, I noticed that and I was like, I love this so much, um, but yeah, I guess we can get into the... The one thing I didn't like, I didn't like the Subaru commercial that played. Right. Okay, there's, the Subaru commercial came right after the land acknowledgements, and it was like, it, it just seemed super insulting. disingenuous and insulting. Yeah, and also yeah. the one commercial that said, you like Canadian film, 
basically like it said, you like the Canadian film, name them all. Like, <laughs> yeah. That has a terrible commercial. It reminded me of like, have you seen like the guru meme? It's like, yeah. Are, yeah. are you human? Name every, name yeah. every traffic yeah. light. Yeah. You like yeah. Canadian films, name every Canadian film. It's yeah. like, that was a bad commercial. So, <laughs> so some like really good, uh, really good stuff. Then some really bad stuff in terms of the, uh, the marketing and the social uh, program and all that. But anyways, it was, uh, great to, to go to VIF. And so I guess we'll just start with like our first film. Um, Will and I saw Jim Cummings' The Beta Test yeah. as our first film. At the Rio. At the Rio Theater. Um, and I, have you seen any Jim Cummings, Juan? I'm afraid I haven't. Okay. Yeah, so, I'm new to him. So I guess I'll just give you a bit of a spiel about Jim Cummings. He's like, um, for those of you who are listening who do not know who Jim Cummings is, he was a, uh, he's kind of like an indie darling. Um, he... He, he, he kind of grew on the internet. Um, pretty, he got pretty big off of the internet. He made um, some short films, specifically one called Thunder Road. Um, and it's most of his, of his short films, they were like Sundance, very successful at Sundance and, and other festivals. Um, but they also went viral online. And they basically the way they work is it's like one shot um, for an entire film. And it's not like it's, it's not like it's um, like a rope thing where it's like trying to drink, draw attention to the fact that it's one shot. It just, it's just like a, a kind of like a through line for his work or his, his short films that it's one shot. Um, and so Thunder Road was his first really big one. I think it won at Sundance. Um, and it, Jim Cummings basically is like writer, director, um, producer. He edits it. He, edits it. he, he, uh, he does, he wears a lot of hats on a lot of uh, films. He also works on other people's films a lot too, which is really interesting. Um, but he like wears basically every hat he can wear um, kind of out of necessity, I guess um, in the beginning because of, his his status as an indie filmmaker um but even now like in the beta test he wore a lot of hats and it's really cool but um so thunder road kind of turned into a feature film and then he um which was I, for me i really enjoyed thunder road it's he, he plays this like cop who's got this really interesting like idiosyncratic um like persona um that kind of gets that is established in the short film and then it kind of gets broken down in the feature film in a really cool way it's like really satisfying for those who have seen the short film um, but anyways, he made Thunder Road, which is great. I recommend that to anyone who, who is a fan of indie film. And then he made a film called The Wolf of Snow Hollow, um, last year, which was like this werewolf genre thing that was just really, 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 really well written and directed. And he gave a great performance in again. He wasn't, he was a star in that film as well. Yeah. Um, he was like, you know, great performance. Um, just a, a, like a really fun genre film that we don't really see that much anymore. Like. He, he's able to stretch these budgets in a way that is not normal. Um, but so, yeah, it's a low-budget film, but it, it's great. Um, I would check it out if you're a fan of indie film again. And then also, so now he made um, he made this film, The Beta Test. Um, and he made it with uh, his creative partner. Um, let me see. I don't have his name on me. While you're looking up the name, uh, the, the budget is a hu- huge thing. When, when we saw the film... Uh, afterwards, I looked it up, and uh, the film cost three hundred fifty thousand dollars to make, and it did not feel like that. It felt like a ten million dollar budget film, which is yeah. quite remarkable. So it's Jim Cummings and PJ McCabe, and I want to shout out PJ McCabe too because, like, you know, people are going to talk about this film as Jim Cummings' film, but it's you know him and PJ McCabe both directed the film, and they both starred in it, and they both um, wrote it. I think, and they both wrote it, yeah. and um, yeah, it was just uh, really like we Will and I loved it. I thought it was hilarious. It was it was probably the second funniest movie of the year to me. <laughs> Um, behind M. Night Shyamalan's Old. Oh! Which I, <laughs> which I thought was the funniest movie I've seen in, in like in theaters in years. Okay. Um, 
so we can get into that later, but I love old. But anyways, the beta test, uh, yeah, it was, it was great. It was, um, it kind of, the, it started out like kind of like a horror film, which is weird. And then it turns into this kind of like thriller, um, procedural almost. Uh, but it's, it was, it's just very well written and, and Jim Cummings performance is like spectacular. Yeah. Probably the best performance I would say Thunder Road is my favorite of his performances, actually, but it's still, like, an incredible performance from him. And if you've seen any other Jim Cummings, you, you kind of know the humor uh, and, like, the type of performance going in. And, um, you know, it doesn't get old. It's it's really funny throughout the entire film. Like, many laugh-out-loud moments in this movie. Um, linked together with what is, like, an appropriate and uh, timely commentary on uh, the role of technology and social media in our society, which is which is really great, so... It was an awesome film and a great experience at the Rio. So yeah, he's got a lot of like, um, like uh, screwball comedy kind of like sensibilities. I think in this film, um, and actually, especially in Thunder Road, he's got this screwball comedy like Peter Bogdanovich thing going on that is really cool. Um, and I just think it's great that like he's this rising voice that seems to have is he's getting like a lot of traction. Um, and he's got a really cool way of financing his films, which is interesting. If you want to look into that, it's some he he does like a crowdsourcing thing where he sells portions of his film out to the people who want to fund him huh. um and it's like a kind of a revolutionary way that of for independent filmmakers to finance their their films um and it's an interesting way as an audience to be involved to be you almost become like a shareholder in the film yeah um exactly. which is really cool and you know now you know the next time jim cummings is making a movie it's it'll probably make money so probably not a bad investment yeah it's <laughs> a good investment like if you look at it purely as a as a as an investment like this he's he's walking uh he's a walking like check really like he's <laughs> it, to me like his stuff is so it's also very box office like it's the kind of thing that people will just love to watch like very big audience it's not like it's not like it's dr- directed towards like that this sub genre or this subgroup of art like art house fans it's very much like a mainstream thing that's waiting to me waiting to just blow up i mean i feel like if this film came out 20 years ago before the superhero movies this would be like you know top box office for a couple weeks but um i don't know about the way the landscape the movie landscape works now it might not be but but yeah um so i guess one you haven't seen it but i think you should check it out yeah i I haven't seen it but everything you mentioned sounds fascinating and i'm definitely intrigued to check him out and to check you know jim cummings buddy work i will say because you compared the comedy of the beta test to the comedy of old. <laughs> I will say that the comedy of old is very unintentional. And I think that's a film that you're laughing at the film, not with the film. Is that also the case in the beta test? So I think, I think M. Night knows exactly what he's doing. Really? Yeah, I do. Because, <laughs> it, it's, because it's if you look at f- films like The Happening, uh-huh. which are so bad. Yes. So, and it's like, this guy knows what he's doing to me. Like, he knows exactly what he's doing. And... To, What's to, the to make a film, um, uh, the what the it's well he did the, the Sixth Sense and he also did um, Signs, Signs, right? Signs. signs. Yeah, you can, I think you can see it in Signs that he knows what he's doing. And there's like this level of awareness where like, like for example, in old I, to not like digress too far, but in old there's a part where they're talking about um, this like endless sea that they have to they have to swim around, uh-huh. and one of the characters says you have it, it's twenty football fields in length. Plus an indeterminate amount to swim, and it was like to me that was the funniest line I've ever seen in any, in any movie in the theater. And like, and it like he wouldn't write that line if he didn't know it was so stupid. Like I think there's I think there's self awareness there that it's it's. I, regardless, I don't I didn't feel like I was laughing at the movie. I was like I was laughing at these stupid people that okay. are being written by a guy who knows he's writing stupid people. 
Um, but that's that's just my opinion. But not the same in the beta test. No, the beta <laughs> test is very much like it's 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 very um, it's it's not subtle, but it's uh it's it's like intentional and it's uh it's not nuanced, but it's like it's it's just like really effectively done, effective jokes and like um re- you know motifs that are repeated and you know Jim Cummings is like he's like a very physical performer, so he's like he kind of just kills the, kills it in the role. So I. And it's very, it's like, it's very classically funny, I think. Hell yeah. 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 That sounds amazing. Um, so yeah, I guess we'll move on. Like, what was, what was your first, the first film you saw? Okay. The first film I saw at VIF this year was The Worst Person in the World, uh, directed by, oof, I'm, I'm going to butcher all of his names, but I'm going to give it a try anyways. Right. Directed by Jackham Trier. Yeah. I haven't seen a single film of his before this movie. But I absolutely adored this film, The Worst Person in the World. I honestly think it may very well be my favorite film of the year so far. I wow. thought it was absolutely fantastic. Uh, I saw it um, on Sunday, October 3rd at the Vancouver Playhouse. Uh, it was a great experience. And yeah, holy shit, was this film good. Like, I, I absolutely loved it. Um, apart from the fact that it's very easy to empathize with the main character, with the protagonist throughout the film... Uh, especially because, you know, this is a protagonist who finds herself in a very, you know, liminal and uncertain place in her life. You know, she doesn't know what she wants to study. She doesn't know if she wants to be in a relationship or not. Uh, she doesn't know what the fuck she wants to do with her life. Mm-hmm. And as a university student, that is something that I can really empathize with. Okay. Um, apart from that, uh, the actress who plays this main character, uh, once again, I'm sorry for butchering this name, but Renate Reins, <laughs> she kills it i am so sorry if you're listening to this i don't know if you are but fuck it yeah you killed it it's amazing um no i thought the film is amazing and it, it's what i love the most about the film is that it's a movie about you know life choices and how depending on the decisions you take you know you end up somewhere completely different than you would have expected right um and what i love the most about this film is that usually when you have films where the protagonist is faced with a difficult decision Uh, You usually always know, like, okay, that is the right choice. That is the wrong choice. Why are you taking the wrong choice? You're dumb as fuck. Mm -hmm. That's not the case with this film. With this film, it's one of those movies that, like, every single option the protagonist encounters, you're not really sure if that is, like, the quote-unquote right choice or the quote-unquote wrong choice. And... I thought that was fascinating because, you know, that's that's how real life works. You know, you, you don't really know if what you're doing is the right thing or the wrong thing. Um, I also thought it was incredibly fucking unique. Like, there were there are so, moments, so many moments in this film where the protagonist is just, you know, interacting with possible romantic interests in parties. Um, and at first, I thought, like, okay, here we go. This is a meet-cute. It's going to be very cliche. Uh, but no, man, like, they find so original ways to do these scenes that are like anything but cliche and it's it's so original so unique and the last thing i'll say about the worst person in the world because i think everyone who's listening to this should fucking watch this film as soon as it comes out uh but the last thing i'll say is there are two surrealist sequences in the films and they're insane like they they couldn't be farther away in regards to what they're trying to achieve like one of them is like very like happy and blissful and like almost you know religious it's like ah it's, it's amazing the other one is just trippy as fuck it's just, it's, <laughs> it's just fucked up and trippy um but they're both amazing no i just i thought this was a wonderful movie like incredibly fucking good 
That sounds really cool. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Like especially the surreal parts there. That's yeah. That's intriguing. Yeah. I just I, looked up the director. Um, apparently he's a distant rel- distant rel- relative to Lars von Trier. No fucking way. Yeah. <gasps> Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. That's an, that's an interesting little tidbit. Yeah. What it's, do you, what do you guys think about Lars von Trier? Like so really? I've not any seen any Lars von Trier. I want to see Lars von Trier. It's just I've been putting him off too long. But really? I gotta, yeah, I gotta get into, into it huh. somehow. Yeah. yeah. That sounds. It actually. From what you're saying, I have I don't I don't know anything about this film because I kind of mm-hmm. like have heard about it and decided I want to see it. Is it? It sounds a bit like um, Shiva Baby. Have you seen that? Which came I out haven't this year? seen okay. Shiva Baby. It's one of the better films that came out this year. Um, it's like an NYU thesis film, I think. Huh. Yes. Um, Canadian director, right? I don't think it's I don't think it's no? a Canadian director, but um, it okay. could be. But anyway, Shiva Baby was like directed by I know it's directed by a woman. What What's her name? Emma Seligman. Uh, yeah. Um, she is Canadian. Okay, she is yeah. Canadian. Interesting. Yeah. Um, which it's it's Shiva Baby is like this like eighty minute anxiety attack about <laughs> people our age kind of going through like difficult life decisions. Um, so I mean that sounds like an interesting. Which I love Shiva Baby quite a bit. So okay. definitely that sounds like fun. Um, should we go to the music? Break? So yeah, I think what yeah. we should do is we we'll take a quick music break because that's what we do on the radio. We um. listen to music. Hell yeah. Um, and then we <laughs> will come back and we will talk about Memoria. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Enjoy the music. <laughs> Goodbye. I knew that the world was over. And oh my God, oh my God, some people just can't settle down. Oh, this plague had been cast over certain people. And I was shaking with my love She held me and wiped my face clean And oh my God, oh my God Some people do not seem to mind Hello, hello, hello. My name is Russian Tim, and I'm the host of weekly punk rock radio show called Rocket from Russia. Every Tuesday, 10.30 to 11.30 a.m., Rocket from Russia is aired on CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, or CITR.ca, anywhere where internet is paid for. On the show, I play new, local and international punk rock, and I also do interviews with members of punk bands and people from the punk rock scene. If you'd like to check out the previous interviews, episodes of Rocket from Russia and the list of upcoming shows in Vancouver, head down to my blog rocketfromrussia.tumblr.com. Great success!
Red Cat Records is an amazing artist-owned and operated record store. Shop from their diverse online music collection and get free shipping within Vancouver and the Lower Mainland with the purchase of two or more LPs. If you would like to further support them through the evolving COVID-19 crisis, you can do so by buying a gift card to use at a later date. Visit www.redcat.ca for more information. Back uh, to the real world. Uh, we are joined by uh, a classmate of ours, Juan, and and uh, is, my name is Liam, and we're, and Will is to my left. I'm and right we're, here. We're talking about Viff. Um, so, so next, we're talking about the second film that Liam and I saw, um, Memoria. We saw this at the Viff Center. Um, that was on Saturday, I believe, of the first week. And why don't you go ahead and say who made the film, Will? Uh, I cannot, cannot pronounce the <laughs> name, and I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce the name. Uh, notable films that they have directed. Uncle Boon Me, who can recall his past lives. Um, that's apparently one of his more popular films. Uh, hadn't seen any of his other films before this one. Um, didn't really know a lot about it going in, other than that it was uh, Tilda Swinton was in it. And uh, it was a long movie, and you felt the, you felt the run time. Um, throughout the film, if you looked around... There was at in least, our theater. In our theater, at least. There was at least a third of the audience that was sleeping the entire time. But it was a rotating third, so I, I think almost everyone in the theater was asleep at one point. Yeah. Um, and then but, when the credits rolled, Liam and I got up and we were walking up the seats, and yeah, a third was still asleep and not moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't apparent that the movie had ended uh, based on the sound, so it was quite easy to sleep through those credits. I will say this. Um, the Vif Center has incredibly comfortable seats. Like, too comfortable. Um... <laughs> They're super cushy, a lot of space, and you can really curl up and, and, and get comfortable in there, which is, you know, it's nice, but not um, not for a movie. I think for a movie, your seat has to be a little bit rigid to keep you on your toes. I will also say this. We watched the movie at 4 p.m., so it wasn't late at night. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think you can tell by my tone. I wasn't really, like, a huge fan of it. Um, I thought it was shot really, really well. Um, a lot of really long takes, like 10-minute-plus long takes. Scenes that only had two shots in the entire uh, um, scene. I'm, I'm not necessarily against this, and I actually like a lot of movies that, that are like this, that have long takes. Um, my favorite director is Eric Romer, who who does takes like these. Um, they're a little bit more dynamic. The camera moves a bit in Romer's films. In Memoria, the, the camera is very still. Almost like The World. Um, it's a Chinese film. But yeah, it was it was a it was a tough watch. The last thirty minutes, Liam really enjoyed. Yeah, so I guess I'll give my spiel now. Um, I the the way the film starts, it kind of has this gravity to it where it feels like it's it it's feels very, important, it feels very important, and it feels like like something that should ought to be taken seriously in a way that most films aren't. So, um, like I feel like when we're assessing it, we're kind of assessing it at the level of which it kind of demands to be assessed. It's it's like a, it's a serious film, and it is obviously like extremely well made. Um, and I wouldn't say there's anything about it that is um, like unintentional or that like it's boring and that's the film's fault. I think the film uh, works the way it wants to work and it's really a question of whether or not people want to engage with it or not. Um, and I think, you know, from an aesthetic perspective, it's like probably the best looking film I've seen in a very long time. It, it's really, really, really like arresting. Besides Red Rocket. Besides Red Rocket, which we're going to get into. <laughs> um, but it... Well, Red Rocket is more like my sensibilities, but I think like an objective kind of like, it's just beautiful. Um, it's this beautiful film photography. Do you know where it's, sh- where is it shot again? It's, in Colombia. It's in Colombia. Yeah. It like, it's just, it captures Colombia like beautifully. Um, 
and it like these like these forests and the, and these like kind of these and the these towns in Colombia it's 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 incredible um and i would say like the the film is a, is a bit too simple to really grab onto anything um a lot you have to really be aware of what you're watching um but like the last half an hour for me um after after having a few instances of dozing off the last <laughs> half an hour was like gripping to me in a like this metaphysical way that i i didn't even know why it was gripping to me i just was like very tuned into what was happening um and i think i've sort of related to some of the of the themes of the film it's it's got it's it kind of deals with time and um the way in which we interact with our with our environment and on our um not even our physical environment but like just the way everything kind of situates itself around us in this interesting way and it kind of kind of, kind of comments on the on our on like being aware of that in a really like metaphysical um boring way um but i i found it heavy and i thought the i thought the ending was there's like a really interesting um direction um they go with the ending of this film uh, i don't want to spoil it because it's completely out of left field but in a good way i think yeah some people would say it's not appropriate but i think it is absolutely appropriate given the what the film is dealing with it's a bit it kind of is like at first glance like wow why is this happening um but yeah i think i would i wouldn't i would recommend it i think it's it's worth checking out especially if you're into the more art house stuff um and you're willing to like approach it with not necessarily an academic mindset, but um, like, it's not the kind of film that is to be enjoyed. I think, if that makes any sense. Hell yeah! Sounds <laughs> yeah. Ooh, sounds like a film I'll not be keen on checking out. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I haven't seen Memoria. Um, I I did hear and read some reviews of Memoria coming out of Cannes, and it did sound very slow mm-hmm. and you know, very taxing. And yeah. me personally, those types of those films are not my cup of tea. Uh, I was deb- debating whether I should watch it or not because, you know, fun fact, I am Colombian. I am from Colombia. And I remember it was like a big deal uh, when this film won like one of the big awards that can won like an festival. audience, like an audience choice or, or yeah. some like uh, like jury choice. It, it won like a, like one of the tertiary awards yeah. in can, which is like that's one of the reasons why I was like, well, I have to check this out because it's and I thought Will would like it actually when I was looking at <laughs> yeah. it when I was. You know what? I. I think I would normally like these the the films that are like like this in terms of they're they're a bit slower. Um, they privilege the shot over the cut a little bit. Um, we've been discussing this in, in our film theory class with uh, Juan, uh, Juan. But yeah, I just I I didn't I it didn't resonate with me unfortunately. Um, and I, I I there was no point in which I felt like I was really gripping onto it. Mm-hmm. I, I was fighting to 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 keep. Uh, like maintain my focus um and i agree with liam in that it, it demands like a certain uh type of viewing experience like you you can't like you're not necessarily going to be entertained while watching it um but i just felt like i was always fighting that the entire film i never really like sunk into it at all which you know that probably is the intent it keeps of us, the, director. It, the film keeps us at a distance it doesn't like yeah. let us into anything really outside of this one thing that our main character is dealing with which i guess i won't spoil but um it kind of like lets us see this one thing about her and then kind of everything else observe everything else very far away um but yeah i guess we should move on from memoria because we didn't even like it that much i will say the last thing i'll say about memoria is that i'm, yeah. I'm glad to hear that colombia is captured beautifully you know it is, like, absolutely yeah. as a it's Colombian, a beautiful film I'm, I'm, I'm getting tired of seeing only colombian films that deal about narcos and yeah, Pablo yeah. Escobar, so no it's, it's it's like <laughs> there's so much more to a lot of these places that we're only getting through like the scope of hollywood 
Oh, yeah. um, so like this, uh, you know, it's it's a great, it's it's good. It's a good kind of film to watch if you're trying to expand your your sense of like, especially foreign films. So, um, yeah, I'll check it out. What was the next film you saw? Okay, the second film I saw at VIF was Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched, The History of Folk Horror, which is a documentary about folk horror. Uh, I saw this film at the Rio Theater on Friday, October 8. And, okay, I, I respect it a lot. Like, a lot of research and writing and planning came into this film. Like, it, it you know... It is evident that the people who made this documentary had so much passion and love love folk horror so damn much. Mm. That said, I I think it's a bit too much of a good thing. Like three hours and fourteen minutes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Like you know, it's it's three hours and fourteen minutes, <laughs> like telling you the story of folk horror and like yeah, the information they are giving is interesting, but it gets to a point when you're like. It's too much, man. It's too damn much. Like, yeah. okay, the best way I could describe this film is just imagine watching an online lecture that goes on for three hours and 14 minutes and the professor <laughs> just doesn't shut the fuck up. That is that, that is literally how I felt in this film. And also, I, I, I don't know. I just felt that the film lacked a thesis in general. Like, it, right. it didn't feel like it was trying to say anything about folk horror. It was just trying to show you, like, oh, look this is folk horror in South America and this is folk horror in Japan and this is folk horror in the United States and this is folk horror over here. And it it comes to a point where it just gets so repetitive and so monotonous. And yeah. hey, once again, if you're writing a paper on folk horror, this is a film for you. This film is going to give you all the information you need. But as an entertaining watch, I oof, it was... Yeah, I struggled. I, I struggled a lot. I, I will say, like... The film is divided into like six sections. Um, when the fifth section ended, I saw some people start to get up thinking that the <laughs> film was over. Then the sixth se- section started. Everyone looked so confused. And I heard someone to my left said like, it's still going on. <laughs> like, it's still going. And I was uh, like, yeah, you and I, buddy, you and I. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> that's, that's rough. It's, I mean, three hours and 14 minutes, I think, is yeah. too long. Just... You better be making a masterpiece if your movie's that long. It's too much, man. Um, it's too, way too much. Yeah. This would have been a lot better as a, you know, as a TV show. Like, you right, couldn't yeah. make this, like, six episodes just talking about folk horror. But just in one shot, it's not. It's it's way too much. Right. Too much. Well, I That's guess fair. that brings us to... Uh, I guess we'll go with your next film, and then we can talk about the films that we saw together. Oh, okay. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Perfect. So you saw Drive My Car. Yeah. So the day after I saw Drive My Car, uh, which is a South Korean film uh, directed by someone I won't even attempt to pronounce his name. Uh, and this film, you know, the reason why I watch this film because, is because it is based uh, by a short story by Haruki Murakami. Um, you know, I won't say I'm like the biggest Haruki Murakami fan, but I have read some of his stuff and I really like it. Um, I saw Burning in 2018 when it came out and mm-hmm. I thought that one was good. It was a bit too slow. Uh, for my taste, but I, you know, I thought it was interesting, uh, and I was definitely intrigued uh, to see more films based on Haruki Murakami stuff. Yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of Burning. I I saw it, yeah. and I was, um, it was kind of like at the beginning of my like my dive into you know more <laughs> more like obscure uh-huh. art house stuff, and that could have like tainted my perspective a bit because I was not quite ready for a movie like that. I think, but yeah. I also think it was. Um, kind of meandering in a way that I wasn't really like I didn't appreciate I think 
Honestly, so. same. I agree. Like, Burning, you know, I, I appreciate a lot. I respect it a lot. I know people who fucking love the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but me, personally, it, you know, it wasn't my cup of tea. That said, I yeah. respect it a lot. Yeah. Now, if you thought Burning was meandering, then, <laughs> then oh boy, <laughs> drive my car. is yeah. I it's, mean, it's actually, it's, it's like, the fact that you signed up for two, three-hour movies <laughs> yeah. at VIF is, like, impressive to me. Like, I, to me, I could only sign up for one of those a year, yeah, a three-hour no, film in the theater. It's like, that is challenging. Okay, the reason why I signed up for Drive My Car was because I have a friend who loved Burning, who okay. was like, let's mm-hmm. go to Drive My Car. And I was like, fuck it, let's do it. You know, yeah. I made you come to this long-ass horror documentary. I'm going to Drive My Car. Yeah. And, okay, here's the thing. There are some moments in Drive My Car that I think are absolutely fucking masterful. Like, there are some moments, if you guys ever watch this film, there are some moments when characters talk... Uh, about a story so basically a story within a story mm-hmm. they, they talk about yeah they talk about a story about this girl who thinks she, she's a fish you know you, you'll you'll get it when you watch the movie i thought every single time they mentioned that story the film was like incredible uh, yeah fucking amazing mm-hmm. uh, and i thought the beginning of the movie like the first 30 minutes were so engaging so good like such an amazing setup but then like after the first 30 minutes i really felt that we got cheated of what could have been such a great story. And, you know, we are just left with this meandering mass of nothingness of just, you know, people feeling miserable and driving cars. Yeah. And once again, you know, the four people I went with to this screening, two of them say it's their favorite film of the year. The other two, one of those being me, we're like, nah, this is just too meandering, too unfocused, like too much of nothingness. But you know, that's just my perspective. Okay. Well, it sounds interesting. I mean, I can't, frankly, I probably won't check it out because it's three hours and I don't have time. It's more, it's more like the, like I, the mental exertion to watch a movie that long that I am not like super excited about. It's tough, but, um, you know, there are so many classes that are three hours that we have to get to. So, (laughs) um, yeah, I guess, uh, should we take one more break now or should we? Let's, let's let's take a break now. So we're going to cut to another, uh, song. Um, hope you enjoy it, and when you come back, we will be talking about uh, Red Rocket and the team on the Just settle down 
Slice of Life Art and Gift Shop is Vancouver's choicest destination for one-of-a-kind artist-made prints, posters, screen prints, riso prints, paintings, acrylic paintings, watercolour paintings, ceramic mugs, ceramic plates, ceramic bowls, ceramic pots, lapel pins, hats, toques, crochet bathing suits, jewellery, trinkets, knickknacks, hand-painted signs, curated thrift, and a bunch more stuff that won't fit in this designated block of airtime. Slice of Life Art and Gift Shop, located at 1636 Venables, just off commercial, open 11 to 6, six days a week. Nissa Homes provides transitional housing for women and children fleeing domestic violence, experiencing homelessness, and those seeking refuge. The not-for-profit organization based in Lower Mainland has been hit hard by COVID-19 and they're asking for your help. They offer a plethora of services starting from basic necessities such as shelter, food, and transportation, as well as referrals to services including mental health counseling, legal aid, assistance with job hunting, and finding affordable housing. Nissa Homes is especially a safe haven for Muslim women as it offers a culturally sensitive space where they can practice their faith, find community, and feel supported to heal and flourish. For their Ramadan campaign, Nissa Homes is accepting donations, also known as Zakat, until May 13, which will go directly towards increasing capacity and providing more shelters for women and children. To donate, go to launchgood.com slash campaign slash Vancouver underscore Nissa underscore home. That is launchgood.com slash campaign slash Vancouver underscore Nissa underscore home. For more information, please visit nissahomes.com. We're back. Okay, actually, Juan is going to talk to us a bit about Belfast, and then we're going to get into the other films, but... Okay, yes. So, Belfast, I was really excited to watch this film. It won the Critics' Choice Award at TIFF. Uh, it is written and directed by Kenneth Branagh, who I respect a lot. Uh, and I've, I've also been hearing that this film, Belfast, is apparently like Kenneth Branagh, like, passion project. Like, apparently this is a story that he came up with throughout the pandemic. And apparently it is sort of autobiographical, like, sort of telling the story of Kenneth Branagh when he was a little kid growing up in Belfast and having to deal with this, you know terrible things going out around going on around him you know especially mm -hmm. the violent confrontations in between catholics and protestants mm -hmm. um i don't know if i said that correctly but you know fuck it. <laughs> yeah yeah um you know the point is i really fucking like this film i thought it was i thought it was an amazing fucking movie okay uh the black and white cinematography was amazing the acting was amazing the little kid was incredible uh that said i am not a native english speaker so some of the accents in this film were very tough. Like there was one character in particular who I couldn't understand a single word <laughs> he said. That said, you know, the film was so endearing and so nice and so sweet that, you know, it, it still, I still managed to get it and it, it still managed to hit me emotionally. 
And yeah, you know, there are a, a lot of subtle references to Kenneth Branagh's life. Like for instance, uh, there's a moment in the film when the little kid is like reading a Marvel comic and it's like a Thor comic and you know, Kenneth Obviously, Branagh would yeah. go on to direct <laughs> the first Thor film. Yeah. Um, and you know, there, there are like little references like that. And also I will just say, I, I'm a huge fan of these films uh, that are like told from the perspective of little kids, but they deal with like this horrible things going on. It's a very good subgenre. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, a pants labyrinth with where you see the Spanish Civil War from the perspective of Ophelia. Or, you know, Life is Beautiful, where you see, you know, a concentration camp from the perspective of this little kid. Uh, And here in Belfast, to a lesser extent, you also see this big violent confrontations from the perspective of a little kid. I thought it was great. Also, the film does something that while the whole film is in black and white, every time that the characters watch a movie, the movie's the only thing in color. And I, I absolutely love that because, you know, it's clearly meant to be that, you know, um, like the world around him is going to hell. Everything around him is terrible. But like the one escape, like the one thing of happiness in his life is just watching these movies. And hey, that is something I can empathize with yeah, a yeah. lot. <laughs> That's great. So with Belfast, um, it was like Will, Will and I, I was buying tickets for Will and I because he doesn't want to do that. But um, <laughs> I was funny. like, Belfast was like, we were on the very edge of going to Belfast. Um, we ultimately like... I like Kenneth Branagh, but I got I I was scared away by the vibe that I thought this was going to be Oscar bait. Oh, it is. It one hundred percent is yeah. Oscar bait, but so in I, the best way. So possible. I thought like this is Oscar bait. It's black and white. It's Kenneth Branagh kind of doing his life story. He's like very hit and miss with his stuff. Like I liked um, Murder on the Orange Express is one of his most recent films, which it was fun. But it's like there's nothing that great about it. Um, and then obviously his last film, like what is it the. Uh, the Disney one that he did. Oh, Cinderella? No, it was the one before that. It was like one of the worst movies of all time. Um, what is it? It's Wait, Artemis Fowl. Artemis, yeah, Fowl. Artemis Fowl, I heard, was like absolutely no, terrible. No, he directed that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fuck oh, no. It's got, a, it's got a 1.3 on Letterboxd. For yeah. Um, Kenneth, what are you doing? So, I would, so yeah, it was it was between that and actually um, Power of the Dog. Which, you know, I really liked his Hamlet. Yeah, he did a good Hamlet. His, I mean, his, his whole Shakespeare bend is is pretty good um he's like the only person in hollywood like that really cares about shakespeare anymore yeah which is interesting but um hey and joel cohen and and, and joel, joel cohen, cohen. Which, <laughs> which we, i cannot i cannot wait for that but yeah. um yeah uh so yeah kenneth Branagh, interesting i i'm definitely gonna watch the film um because i've heard so many good things about it but yeah we were on the edge of of uh of going to it because we ended up picking other films so i guess let's get into those so we saw um Red Rocket. Will and I saw Red Rocket. That was the Juan third film we saw. He saw it later. Yeah. So did not didn't see a part of it, but he saw it. I saw it the day before yesterday. Yes. <laughs> so um so when Will and I saw we saw Red Rocket at the Hollywood Theater um in Kits and it was uh for me the best film of the year. Um it's like my it's it's my ideal um aesthetic, which is like I felt like Sean Baker was um taking from like specifically Robert Altman, um, in like a really really great way. Like his the 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 first shot of the film, I I like adore that shot. It was it's such a great film. The, we see um we see our, what's the what's his name uh, Simon Rex. Yeah. Simon, Simon Rex, Rex is we see his main character walking, in like the best. He's he's got an incredible uh, like walking form. Um, I can't remember who said it, but someone said we don't know who a character truly is until we've seen them run, and that was not any that was like just fully apparent to me when I when I watched this I was like okay I know exactly who this guy is the second I saw him walking um he gets off a bus obviously he's he's coming out coming home from California to Texas um but yeah I think this is like Sean Baker's for me his best film um it was it was 
it was it was hilarious. It was uh, heartfelt. It was um, extremely like engaging and entertaining. There was one plot point about two thirds through the film, like a pinch point that kind of just switches everything, and it was um, gripping. And I yeah, I can't. I honestly I could go on about it forever. But I like it's exactly my kind of film, and I uh, cannot wait to see it again. And I think everyone should see it. Yeah, the cinematography is just amazing. Sean Baker, obviously, he's a film guy. Uh, he shot this film. This film on was it uh, sixteen millimeter? So it was sixteen millimeter, and it um, like it just looks incredible. The he, film grain is just so it's the texture is so good. Yeah, it's like the the perfect. It's a, it's a very Robert Altman. Um, yeah. like like uh, I don't know, um, like the long goodbye, or even like I like there's one shot in the film that's like the smash zoom onto Simon Rex and another character. Um, you know doing yeah, something together yeah. <laughs> and uh it was very reminiscent of a, of a of one of my favorite shots of all time which is the smash zoom in robert altman's images um huh. um which it's it's like one of the, it's a great shot if you've seen the film you know exactly what i'm talking about yeah um, but it's like he's he's clearly taking this aesthetic and he's also taking a bit from i think like um for example jim jarmusch and mystery train which I know, Juan, you haven't seen any Jim Jarmusch yet, which is a crime against humanity. But, <laughs> okay, I'll fix that, um, I'll promise. Yeah, Mystery Train, I think, was like a, I think Mystery Train is like a really interesting pairing with uh, with Red Rocket. It's it's very different, but it's also kind of deals with the same, like not subject matter, but it kind of has the same ideas that it wants to, to tackle. Yeah. Um, and a lot of like, just a lot of shots are taken from Mystery Train, I think. I can't say for sure, but... Um, yeah, I just I I loved uh, Red Rock. I'll say this: we're really bummed we missed the the opening screening of the film because apparently Sean Baker uh, was there for a Q and A, which yeah. would have made my day. Would have made the, my year, the one actually. question: how do you how do you get a crash scene like that? Yeah, that would we, change Will our and I have been career. making we've been making films for for years, and all we want to do is get us get a zoom like that, get a slow zoom out, slow zoom in, a crash zoom, <laughs> any of it. We don't know how to do it. We can't figure it out. We can't get the right lens, the right tripod, the right anything. Um, so yeah, One Sean day. Baker, if you're listening to this, just tell us how you got that shot. We want to know. <laughs> we want to get the shot from The Shining that's zooming into Jack Nicholson's face. I don't know how to do it. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, what did you think of the Red Rocket? Of Red Rocket, not the. Okay, you know, first of all, I'll just start off by saying that I find it very interesting that you also talked about a film that you think would be a good pairing to watch alongside Red Rocket because I was also thinking about it, and me personally, I think Red Rocket is an amazing companion piece to Paul Thomas Anderson's Boogie Nights. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, especially because they both deal in the world of porn and yeah. porn stars. Uh, and I find it really interesting because, you know, Boogie Night sort of shows you, like, the rise and fall of a porn star, while Red Rocket shows you the life, like, he's already fallen. Like, yeah. he's already out. He's already yeah. retired. And, like, I love that about it. I love, the, yeah. <laughs> I love the idea of, like, seeing what's interesting about, like, seeing a story after the important thing. Like, yeah. what do we do after, after what's happened? That's really cool to me, but... Yeah, no, I, exactly. I Okay, I, I'll start off by saying that I'm not the biggest Sean Baker fan. Like, I've only seen two, two of his films, The Florida Project and Red Rocket. And, you know, I wasn't that big of a fan of The Florida Project. I, I thought it was a bit too slow for my taste, a bit too meandering and, you know, not, not that engaging. Uh, so I went into Red Rocket. Honestly, the only reason why I bought tickets for Red Rocket is because these guys told me it was like their favorite film of the year, that it was fucking amazing. And I was like, okay gotta check it out so i bought tickets i watched it uh i went in with an open mind and i really fucking liked it i thought it was really damn great like okay once again it's not a film for everyone like yeah there's a lot of sex <laughs> there's a lot of sex there's a lot of you know weird shit and 
Yeah, the, the character is an asshole. The character is a complete and utter asshole. He does. Yeah, he totally sucks. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not a but film But somehow for you care for him. Like, you care about him. Yeah. Which is so <laughs> interesting. And it's like you care about him the second you see him walking out of the bus. It's like, I care about that guy. I'm rooting for him. I agree. Which is, like, really weird because the guy, he sucks all the way through. And even throughout the ending, like, really we should think he's such an asshole, but we still, like, we, we care about him. Like, we're on his side, which is, like, And incredible. part of that is because Simon Rex, like, his, his performance yeah. is absolutely incredible. It's like... It's kind of, you can compare it to, I don't know, Adam Sandler in like Uncut Gems or, yes. <laughs> or even Adam Sandler in, in Punch Drunk Love. Like, I mean, the Paul Thomas Anderson like aesthetic is, is really apparent. I don't know if that's what Sean Baker was going for. I, I read somewhere he was kind of referencing these like 70s um, like crime films, which obviously makes sense just because of the, the zooms are all 70s stuff, which I love. But um, like Paul Thomas Anderson, like if, if you didn't know that this was Sean Baker and you saw this film 10 years ago, you'd say this is this must be Paul Thomas Anderson um so yeah oh, yeah, yeah. I, I will say I, I also think okay i'm not american i'm colombian i've said that before but i think this film is you know trying to be a deconstruction of the american dream you know of, yeah. of, 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 there, there's a lot of imagery and references to presidential elections to trump to hillary yeah. clinton a lot the, the the trump commercials in the background and the like the fox news in the background on the tv perfect really funny yeah. really really funny and the last thing i will say is that okay even though i wasn't the biggest fan of the florida project i will say that sean baker is excellent at just capturing the essence of this you know states in the yeah. united states of america like the way he captured florida but not like you know For the sure. fancy touristy side of florida but like the real sort of fucked up side of Florida. Yeah. And the way he does the same thing here for Texas, I thought that was amazing. Like the backgrounds in his films and the locations in his films are so important. And especially in Red Rocket, like I, I know you guys probably have a lot more to say than I do, but you know, in Red Rocket, you're constantly seeing like this huge construction sites right. and refineries and mm-hmm. like these big buildings and, and you know, things. It's that, like post, there's, well, there's post a scene industry, where right? uh, Simon Rex and his 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 wife, they're talking about, uh, they're just like looking out at the expanse and he asked if uh, that one of those towers, like one of those huge grain towers or whatever, those uh, silos, or silos, he asked if one of them is new uh, and she says, no, it's been there forever. But like that kind of like you know that kind of conversation. It's like unclear. Yeah. It's also like it's well, it's just like post industry, like this this wasteland of in America that is post industry. Uh, presumably, what it was a town that was probably like very like booming at one point, yeah. and now it's like a dead town. Um, you know, I think that Sean Baker has his finger on the pulse of of issues in America, and I think as like you know uh, as the years go by, we'll see more films that are really in dialogue with the results of. The last four or five years in terms of like the political landscape and also the economic landscape in the u.s um but sean baker i think is ahead of the curve here yeah and it's really great to see also just from a filmmaking standpoint like there's a there's a, like a, a level like an energy level in the film that is like so consistently high that doesn't it's not overwhelming but it just it just moves it's not that it's fast paced but like I, it's simon rex's performance and it's you know the way sean baker shoots the film but it's like the it there's so much energy to it um, and like and and excitement and um, it it makes like a really 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 fun viewing experience. Um, yeah. So yeah, cannot recommend that film enough. Really great. Okay, one one question I want to ask yeah. you guys about this film. Why do you guys think it's called Red Rocket? Because I don't know. I've I've been thinking um, about it since I saw it. It's definitely an allegory, or it's definitely like an allusion to the to the porn thing. Like there's like there's a there's like the phallic idea of a red rocket oh um yeah (laughs) i think that's part of it i read somewhere there's like red rocket means something what does it mean 
Um, like when I saw it before I came into the theater, I thought for sure like that was gonna be his porn star name. Like I, yeah. I thought that was gonna be his name, but no, it was like yeah. Saber. Oh yeah, something. Mikey Saber. <laughs> yeah, which is a great name by the way. Like yeah. it's Dirk Diggler. Like also the I, the prosthetic. We're not. I won't skip. I won't spoil it. But anyways, it's uh yeah. It's it's definitely interesting. I, I read somewhere about the title being a, a reference to something else, but I I was I just thought it was like, um, I'm sure there's more to it, but it's I think it kind of alludes to the porn industry thing. But yeah. I'm yeah. absolutely positive there's more to it, and I'm just missing it. I think we we do need to move on here. We're running out of time, so let's quickly talk about Petite Maman. Yeah. Um. So we saw that film together on was that the la- it was the second last div of it yeah. correct and that was at the Vancouver Playhouse Vancouver Playhouse which that was, was the really first cool. time Liam and I were at the Vancouver Playhouse. Yeah. Um. We were up in a balcony first time in a balcony. It was super fun, awesome, and the film was was really it was amazing. It was super heartfelt. Um. The seventy two minutes felt like super appropriate. Like what a, like a really great runtime. I think. I think well the runtime is I wanted to say this I felt like. It's Celine Siamo just flexing on everyone. Like I can, like I'm going to do a 72 minute film, and I'm doing it for a reason. And no one else does this, but I can do it. And I just thought, like that's great. It's she just showing off, basically. Like I can do a 72 minute film, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and it didn't. It didn't feel like it was like we were missing anything in no. the 72 minutes. And no. it also didn't feel like it was super tight. Like it was like very like everything was like essential, and it was moving so quickly, and and. Uh, it was just like a super tight script or anything like that. It just felt like a 72-minute run, run time that was like appropriate. And there was moments that were slow and, and it was great. Um, yeah, what did you think, Juan? Oh, I, I like Petit Maman a lot. I, I thought, you know, I thought it was really cute, really well made. You know, just, yeah, very, very, very sweet film. Um, I, I wouldn't say I love it as much as you guys do. Uh, okay, don't get me wrong. I love, I love Celine Siama because I, I, mm-hmm. I adored Portrait of a Lady on Fire. That was yeah. like... One of my favorite films of 2019. I think one of my favorite of the decade. For yeah, sure. honestly, like I completely agree. I, yeah. I I always, you know, mention Portrait of a Lady on Fire when someone asks me like, "What is your favorite romance film?" I'm like, "Yeah, Portrait of a Lady on Fire yeah. has to be there. It's amazing." Yeah. Uh, so after Portrait, I was like, "Holy shit!" Like I can't wait to see how Celine Siama follows this up. And while I, you know, I really enjoy Petit Maman, and I, I, you know, I think it's great. I think it's really sweet. Um, I. I definitely don't think it's on the same level as Portrait of a Lady on Fire, at least for me. Yeah. Um, I will say, like, the premise, like, the twist, like, the main thing that happens in the story, I won't spoil it, you know, just in case you guys don't know, but I thought that was really, really clever. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I wish they would have done more with some of the um, character interactions, especially, you know, reaching a cathartic climax. But I, I thought it was a really sweet film that I really enjoyed yeah, I mean, for me, I, like, really connected with it uh, in a way that, like, I the themes of the film, I think, are just right up my alley. Um, and I, it, the last 30 minutes honestly had me on the verge of tears. I was, like, that engaged with it. Um, but the, like, it feels like, it honestly feels like a short story. Like, not like a short film, but like a short story. Um, like, the kind of thing that you'd read in a book. Yeah. Um, but I think... For me personally, I liked it more than Portrait of Lady on Fire, which I which I really enjoyed quite a bit. Wow. I don't know this the way this film connected with me, especially the last half an hour. Um, it like gripped me in a way mo- most like most films that I see don't anymore. Wow. I've been des- I've, like I've, I've almost been desensitized to to like sentimentality in a lot of films. So like when they really get me, it um it was like really moving, and yeah, like I you know I couldn't recommend it more. I've I heard like there's a there's the release is going to be weird with this film. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm hoping people can see it. Um, 
but yeah, like I'm, I, I love the movie a lot. And I, I think, yeah, like I said, I think it's my favorite Celine Sciamma film. I would say it's probably my, this, my, my second favorite film I saw at VIF. Holy or, shit. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think it's, it's like w- with the beta test for me, um, I just think it's like so, uh, well thought out and so like, it's it it like comments on like a kind of universal human experience that I think is like relatable at a very deep level, and yeah, I am super excited about about Petipa Man, and I think everyone should should check it out. Hell yeah! Yeah. Yeah. Um. So I think what we should do, we're kind of reaching the end of this. I think what we should do is quickly like rank. Oh right, one. Yeah, you saw Power of the Dog. Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll just be, I'll really be very quick. brief. Yeah. yeah, very brief. I, I should say before you say it, Will and I had tickets to Power with the Dog <laughs> on Monday night. It was Thanksgiving at nine o'clock in the Vancouver Playhouse, which is far away from us. And we we had a go. bunch. We had some people over uh, for Thanksgiving, and we were we were indisposed. It was unfortunate, mm-hmm. but I honestly don't like Benedict Cumberbatch, <gasps> and I thought. I was not excited about the movie at all. So that didn't help our the case of like whether we go or not. So we decided not to go. So really quick, what did you think? Okay, I adored Power of the Dog. <laughs> I, I love Benedict Cumberbatch. I, I love this movie so damn much. Uh, I actually didn't see this film at VIF. I, I saw it at TIFF at the Toronto International Film Festival. And actually, Benedict Cumberbatch was there at the screening wow. and did a Q&A after the movie, really? which, you know, for me, that was like fucking amazing. But yeah. no, I thought the film was incredible. Uh, I had low expectations for this film. I don't know, like, as you guys have probably heard from what I've said in, in this, you know, past hour, I'm not the biggest fan of, like, slow burns or, like, very, very slow films. Yeah. That said, this is a movie that is very slow. It is very subtle, but it is so damn poignant. Okay. I, I loved it. I loved Power of the Dog. Um, yeah, it's a shame you guys didn't see it. Yeah, I thought the performance was amazing. Regret I wanted to see it. I was really pushing Will to see it. He didn't yeah. want to go. I didn't want to I go. thought Benedict Cumberbatch killed it. Jesse Plemons. You know, Jesse Plemons is Jesse is Plemons good. is coming. He's rising. But he's also, rising. dude, like, uh, uh, okay, not not Kristen Dunst is also amazing. Yeah. But I'm looking for the name. Ah, here we go. Cody, Cody Smith-McPhee. Yeah. He also kills it. The one thing I will say, if you guys are interested in watching Power of the Dog, don't watch the trailer. I went into the film without watching the trailer and I was okay. so damn surprised. But the person who I watched it with had seen the trailer and when the film was over i was like holy shit i can't believe that's the direction they took it in and he was like yeah i saw the trailer i, I knew that was gonna happen and i was like yeah. no so, us yeah. on the real world don't. we totally endorse not seeing the trailer yeah. <laughs> don't watch the trailer for any movie also my word of advice buy stock and jesse Plemons. he's on the rise oh fuck yeah <laughs> okay Anyways, so let's quickly rank and then we'll get we'll, we'll uh, yeah up. let's rank we'll just go uh one at a time so i'll start um for me we saw four films, uh, one, Red Rocket, two, Petite Maman, three, The Beta Test, and four, Memoria. Um, so this is boring, but I have the same rankings. So I have one, Petite Maman, or sorry, one, Ooh. Red Rocket, <laughs> one, Petite Maman, or two, Petite Maman, three, Beta Test, and four, Memor- uh, Memoria. I think Beta Test might pass Petite Maman at some point. I just think it's like really great. Or who knows, maybe Petite Maman could pass Red Rocket. I, all three of those films I loved. Okay, for me, I saw six films, and my ranking would be number one, Worst Person in the World, Masterpiece. Number two, Power of the Dog, Incredible. Number three, Belfast. Number four, Petite Maman. Number five, Drive My Car. And, you know, that last, the three-hour, 14-minute lecture, Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Okay. All right. Um, so thank you very much, everyone, for listening. 
we we actually missed out on a couple topics that we wanted to talk to Juan about, uh, namely Aaron Sorkin as well. Uh, Juan interest he's not on Letterboxd, which uh, maybe some of you aren't on Letterboxd either, but he has like an analog version of Letterboxd where he logs all of his films that he watches and he lists them on his uh, computer on his computer on Microsoft Word. Microsoft Word. So <laughs> we're gonna is, have Juan, to, which on, is to us the most fascinating thing ever. Um, but we're gonna have we'll have to have him on. Yeah, we're gonna have him on again to when we do our roundup of the entire year and maybe another episode so we can talk about that specifically. So thank you all for listening and um, goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.